Hey, it's Steve Sellers from the Hold Steady, and you're listening to the Hood Rat Recap. Bored, so we started a podcast about the best bar band in the land, man. This is the Hood Rat Recap, and we are back. We are your steady stream of the unified scene. That's all the news and the reviews of a little group that you love, we love. They're called the Hold Steady. Hello, everybody. This is Stage Right Mike, and I thought it'd be best if I hung around the Upper Midwest, so basically that's what I've been doing. But as always, I am joined by my co-host, the Unified Scenes' very own King of Queens, Gasper. Gasper, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Mike, but you know what, man? I'm trying to get people to call me Walter Cronkite. Why is that, Gasper? Because I like to tell you how it is. Well, how's that working out for you? Not so good. I mean, people just keep calling me Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, so I'll probably stick with King of Queens. That's because you have all the news that no one can use. That that might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> and who, whose voice is that that we're hearing there, Gasper? That is our on-mic producer, Kevin is wherever. How you doing, man? I am doing good. I am very excited for today's show. It's going to be a good time. Steve Selvage from The Hold Steady is joining us to talk about his new Solo project, Mem Mods, that is available everywhere February 24th. Uh, anybody listening should go check it out, but this is going to be a great episode. Yeah, man. I've been looking forward to this interview. So before we get to that interview, I just wanted to give a real special shout out to the Hold Steady is for Women. They had really kind words for us. They're a podcast that uh, started, I think, the same exact month we started, and then they just kind of went off for a while. Uh, we know how that goes with podcasts, right, guys? Yeah, man. We just want to... Uh... We want to say hey to the whole steady is for women. Uh, we had a nice chat with Kaylee, and uh, hopefully we're going to get together at Brooklyn Bowl at Massive Nice to have a beer. And who knows, maybe sometime in the future we uh, will get to work with them a little bit. You know, went off the air for a little bit. They're back. Um, we're big fans of them. So uh, hey, guys, and uh, keep up the good work, man. Yeah, it'd be great to unify the unified scene even more. So. All right, so let's get into this uh, this interview with Steve Selvage, man. I've been looking forward all to right. this all week. Yeah. Here to talk about the Memods. Uh, this is a new studio project from Steve Selvage of Hold Steady, Luther Dixon of the North, North Mississippi All Stars, and Paul Taylor, uh, better known for New Memphis Colorways. Vital is going to drop on February twenty fourth, twenty twenty three, and it's available for pre order on Bandcamp. And you could also check uh, a pre order out on Peabody Records dot slash Memods, uh, which we'll put a link in our description of this uh, this episode. All right, man. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, so the the Memods, man, this project is a bit of a departure from your work with the Hold Steady and Lucero. Um, probably a little bit closer to Big F Truck. Very, Yeah, closer to that. 
Um, also, for the record, I only toured with Lucero for a couple of months. I was never, I've never really officially in the band. Never recorded with them. Um, that that's another internet fun. fun oh time. wow! So we yeah we <laughs> we had you down as uh, not that that much further west was the the record you were on, but uh, no, okay. I, I I think. I, I did one thing with Roy Berry, like on a four track, like some heavy metal version of some song. And I just shagged out, played a bunch of like metal guitar on it, shredder <laughs> stuff. And it like, I don't think it was, I mean, it floated onto the internet somewhere, but I don't think they ever put it out. But yeah, I think at the time I joined the hold steady, nobody like big ass truck was kind of forgotten. And uh, so they're like, I don't know, we got to put something down. It's like, Oh, he played with Lucero for a while. Yeah. Put that down. <laughs> <laughs> Every gotcha. now and again, Craig likes to, mess with me on stage and be like steve from lucero <laughs> <laughs> that's great um and you turn but, around and go where is he <laughs> yeah where is he which wait who um fun fact john c from lucero is a, a cousin of mine distant cousin oh cool um so there's that but yeah um the memmods project uh definitely you know i mean it's 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 actually a lot of it is similar to kind of something that's more my wheelhouse or part of my wheelhouse that, a big facet of what I do, like that kind of music. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a yet one of many uh, projects born out of the pandemic. Um, you know, in March of 2020, I found myself with absolutely zero gigs, all of them canceled, as we all remember. Yeah. Um, and so Luther emailed me and was like, hey, I did some stuff and Paul played drums on it. You want to put some guitar on it? I was like, yeah, sure. I literally don't have anything to do. Um, so I did, and, and we were all pretty pumped about it. And so it just kind of continued. And then I started making little mixes of it just to listen to in the house for myself. And then I passed those along to the guys and they were into it. So we just kept recording. And then, you know, by the time fall came around, we had 12 songs. And, you know, this was sort of the sort of thing like we've known each other. I've known Luther my entire life. I mean, our dads are friends and I've known Paul since I was in grade school and we played music together on and off guesting on each other's records or, or just whatever. Um, but we've never made a record together like this. And it, it's, it absolutely would not have happened. We're not, we in lockdown, you know, we never even saw each other in person. This was all done via Dropbox. Oh, yeah. Wow. And yeah, so I mean, this... I think that came across in the recordings. It really sounded really loose. I, I mean, you could almost like hear you guys' smiles as you were playing, like you were smiling and just it's really sounds absolutely. That way. Yeah. yeah, and there was um, another big component of it was an app called Marco Polo um, that I didn't know about. Um, it's like basically like video texting. You just talk to your phone, and, it's, and then and then you get a message, and it's somebody talking to their face. And we started kind of like doing production meetings that way. Like, you know, like I would put down a guitar and be like, all right, look, the guitar's up at the Dropbox. Check it out. You know, put it in your mix and see how it or whatever. And then they, oh, that's great. That's cool. Do this. Or like, you know, um, so we really were able to kind of like rather than get on a phone call or a text thread or email thread, this was like these kind of video messages back and forth. And it was like very much part of the production it was like the marco polo app was almost like a, a fourth producer on the project oh wow that's awesome so for people listening at home that may not know memods is all instrumental yes uh, all 12 tracks are instrumental um 
Was that a conscious choice when you guys were going into it? Did you say, we're not even going to worry about vocals. We just want it to be sonically this sound that we're trying to create with no vocals or anything over it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know when we, uh, I mean, I think pretty early on we, we landed on that. But it was like, you know, I mean, Luther obviously is being the, the primary lyricist for the North Mississippi All-Stars, you know, he wanted to keep that separate. And yeah, it just, you know, once you put words onto something, it creates a narrative and, mm-hmm. and the music becomes secondary to that, you know. So, and this was definitely like, you know, initially we wanted it to be like almost like an electronica kind of thing, but, you know, it it kind of veered from that a little bit, but there are like drum machines and synths and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, um, early on, like, yeah, let's just, let's make an instrumental record. Right. And when you're talking about like the, how the lyrics do drive the narrative, um, at the same time, a lot of these songs do feel like maybe not a story, but definitely a theme. Um, yeah. Like it, 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 you do a great job of conveying that in, in, in these tracks. Like, so how do you, how do you, in the process, how do you, uh, you know, con- convey the theme like that? Well, first of all, thanks. Um, uh, you know, we, we were conscious of like, you know, especially something being having a certain vibe in comparison to something that we had just done, you know, like, okay, we've done this. What if we had like, you know, like, you know, there's one tune, a, a, a lot of times just to backtrack a little bit, a lot of times, like there would be a raw drum track from Paul, like just drums, you know, just him just playing drums. And I would either like write a baseline to it or Luther would come up with something, a baseline or something else to it. So like this one tune, Harmelotica, which is going to be the second single, um, he played a melodica on it, which you hear on a lot of dub recordings like Augustus Pablo and stuff. So, you know, that inspired me to like really just crank up the spring reverbs and, you know, give it kind of like that sort of, I mean, it's not like a reggae song, but it's got that kind of, you know. to it and you know and we were all also just really in, inspired and like bringing in all of our influences to kind of coalesce so like you know with like, like that like kind of our touchstone was like check your head <laughs> because okay. that was such an inspirational record to us and when it came out 30 years ago <laughs> um you know and and like the thing too is just that because you know me and luther our dads played together and then, you know, Paul sometimes plays with us with sons of mud boy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've often talked about like, so our dads were in a group called mud boy and the neutrons. And it was kind of like this legendary Memphis group that only sometimes played and their sole purpose was to not be able to get a record deal. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they were taking their influence of growing up with these, you know, these blues masters here in town, like Ferry Lewis and book of white Mississippi, Fred McDowell. And, and all their other like early rock and roll and all that stuff. 
So we were talking about like as Sons of Mudboy, like there's no reason to discount all the continued influence. Like we were certainly influenced by our dads and certainly influenced by what influenced them. But there's a whole, you know, decades of stuff that came in there, you know. So we, we brought all that to the Memmods project, um, you know, just like what, whatever kind of vibe we could just kind of flash on and, and get a track going. But, you know, t- but typically like these, these tracks came really quickly. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a godsend because it was just like, it was all, especially since I mixed it, it was just all encompassing. And I just basically, I had a, not that I was getting paid, but I had a job, you know, I had something to, to go out and do every day. Right. And uh, it's funny you bring up Harmelotica because on the bio, I, when I was reading through it, I saw that it mentions Money Mark, which you bring up the Beastie Boys and he's right. done so much work with them in the, sure. in the nineties that it's funny that that influence is coming through, especially on that song, that for anybody that might want a jumping point where they might have a sense of uh, where they feel like it's comfortable to them. That's a song because it pulls on that influence where if you were yeah. a beastie boys fan, when they were behind the instrument, you feel that, especially in that track. Well, and Mike, you know, mentioned just the fun, I believe. Uh, and to me, that's one of the funnest tracks on the record. You know, it's got that loose, you know, um, it, we just, we just, we were really jazzed about it when it, when it happened. Um, yeah. It's certainly got a, a, the more the most jazz feel on the record as far as like the jazz funk fusion thing. Um, yeah, and I would imagine that's largely due to so Paul is listed as soundscapes as one of the things that he does, uh, which yeah. I know it, it kind of fits, man. Like it, it totally like I, I get that. And one of the vibes that I got, and I don't know if this is what you're going for, but if you remember, if you ever seen the Grateful Dead live, they do like space where it's like right. kind of it's it's kind of in that vein where it's like, this is really cool. Like I haven't heard this since the dead, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Luther probably has the most experience with the dead of any of us. Uh, I don't like I've, I've, I, I continually try <laughs> and, and I'm like, this is going to be the time where it all clicks. And it, I mean, it hasn't yet, but um, I'm, I'm with, with you there. I'm waiting <laughs> for that day. <laughs> yeah. They are kind of a band you love them or you don't. Like I get I it. I grew up with I them. Don't <laughs> them. I don't dislike them. I, you know, it's just I've, it's never. I've just never gotten there with them. Like to the extent where, where how people traditionally get there with them, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I I like the notion of like I love like tape loops and the sort of the the beauty of randomness, but cr- creates a magic moment, you know. So like, like, so on harmonica, like Paul was doing some crazy stuff with the synth pedal and I was messing with, um, I have a looper pedal that you can like, you can loop things and run them backwards and at half speed or double speed. So like we, I, we had two concurrent beds going on underneath that song kind of coming in and out, you know, sort of like actually just, just yesterday got in the mail, my, uh, Beatles revolver box set, um, and, you know, so something like Tomorrow Never Knows, I was like, I mean, I can remember being in the fifth grade. <laughs> I remember listening to Tomorrow Never Knows being in the fifth grade. It was just like, Dad, can I please take LSD? He's like, no. <laughs> but, but when you turn 18, I'll do it with you. Wow. <laughs> so did that happen at 18? Did, did, did you and your dad get to Tomorrow Never Knows? No, I I kind of jumped the gun by about three years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> getting back to the Beastie Boys, uh, it was the summer of '89. It was the it was the week that Paul's Boutique came out. It was happened to be the week weekend that Paul's Boutique came out. It was the weekend that my parents went out of town and my brother was back from college, 
and we threw a two day party, uh, like total, like John Hughes style. Um, and, uh, so I, I took acid for the first time, uh, at that party. It was great. It was so much fun. I loved it. <laughs> Did you listen anyway, to Paul's boutique? Cause that's a great record. Absolutely. You know yeah, what? If no, I, if you're going to go down that road, that record uh, is a good one to well, go down with. And my brother just got a new stereo. Like, like he had these massive speakers. So we set it up and I was just tripping balls and like barrel of a gun was playing. Uh, I was like, Fucking That's awesome. my tune. I love that tune. <laughs> <laughs> the walls are like breathing and shit, and like, oh my god, it's great. Uh, so yeah, we had like I had like the yellow cassette, you know, because like it, it came out in the colors of, of Capitol Records. Yep. I should have bought them all, but <laughs> that's the collector in me. So anyway, I digress. But um, that that all that informs kind of our experience making that record for sure. So. So Steve, I was under, so now, like, are you reopening like your father's uh, label here, Peabody? Yeah, Peabody Records. Yeah. So my dad had a label in the '70s. Basically, what had happened was he had been on a couple of major labels. He like he had an album that came out on Enterprise, which was Isaac Hayes' imprint on Stax, and it was like they had three. Their first three releases were Hot Buttered Soul, my dad's record Portrait, and a eponymous record by a band called Moloch, which you should definitely check out. They just reissued it. Um, that, so Moloch was like blues rock, kind of psychedelic blues rock. But anyway, so that kind of fell apart. And then my dad, like he had a deal with um, Electra. Went to Muscle Shoals, cut the album, mixed, mastered, artwork, just as in the can as it possibly could be. And then somebody, I can't remember who bought Electra. But the suits came in. They're like, all right, we got three folk singers. We need one. And they're like, okay, we're going to go with Harry Chapin. So they like cut my dad loose, went with Harry Chapin. Um, so at some point, my dad was playing at a place called the Procope, which was uh, in an area called Overton Square. And I was right down the street from Arden Studios. So this is like right around the time that Big Star was recording third. I'm just trying to give you context of, you know, mm -hmm. you know, this is right when like Alex was holding court at like TGI Fridays and Trader Dicks. Um, these are bars in Memphis. And it was this whole scene. So they decided to capture my dad's set at the Procope. Um, so this is the first time that he had worked with Jim Dickinson. They were friends. And but this is the first time that Dickinson was producing a record on my dad, like on, on a full project. So they went in and they just captured my dad's set, you know, or at least songs from it. My dad, he had written a few songs. This is the long answer about Peabody, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, there's like, great. So they had a friend, Robert Williams. He was like, great, I'm going to start a label. Like, we'll, you know, I'll do the label. We'll, we'll do it together. Um, and so he like got way into the process of record pressing and the, all the, you know, the artwork and the design. And like, they just, he was really into it. But Robert Williams was kind of a serial starter of things, you know? And so when it was done and it was like he was going to have to be the label, he was like, I don't want to do this. You can have the records. You, you don't have to pay for them here. <laughs> so my dad was like, well, I guess I'm a label now. So he sort of took up the mantle of it. And that record did really well kind of locally and got some good reviews in like the New York Times. He wound up doing a residency at Tramps in New York. And... Uh, you know, so that just kind of gave him the momentum to like, okay, well, th this is a way moving forward to put out my own stuff. And, and then also, since he had kind of the infrastructure, so to speak, set up, it's like he could do other things. So like in 78, um, 
Alex Chilton was, you know, finally done with Big Star and rebelling against it. And so that's when he cut the album like Flies on Sherbert, which my dad originally put out on Peabody. Um, um, so, you know, it just kind of went on from there. And then by the, by the mid eighties, he was like, I'm, I'm done with it, you know? Um, and so anyway, it just kind of became the family imprint. Like I kind of low key put out some stuff like, um, big ass truck back in the day, we did a, uh, um, Christmas seven inch Holly Jolly Christmas. And do you hear what I hear? We called it big angelic truck. <laughs> um, so we, pre- somebody paid to do a seven inch of that and we, um, put, put the Peabody label on it. But this is, this was like the first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to go get distribution and like do this for real. Um, because once we had the album done, there was all these circular conversations. Like well, we could do this, we could do that. Why don't we just do, you know, what about distro kid? What about the, you know, and I realized that like this was going to go nowhere. And I was like, you know what? I'll pay for it. I'll put it out. I'm going to start up Peabody. Because I'd wanted to reissue my dad's records anyway. Um, the two that haven't been reissued. So I was like, this will be a good jump start to, you know, doing, to, to get, kind of get that done. Um, and there, I can maybe get a little bit of press out of it or something. I don't know. <laughs> cool. So the plan is to to reissue some Sid Selvage stuff and yeah. um, the Memods. Are you planning on adding any other artists to the label or? I doubt it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm dealing with enough expectations from the two other guys. Uh, I can't imagine what taking on strangers would be like. I mean, you know, once I mentioned it, I mean, it's crazy. You just whisper something about starting a label when people come hat in hand to people that you know <laughs> that would otherwise you'd be like, hey, what's up? They're like. I was like, no, wait, whoa, whoa, don't talk about that. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know, it's like, believe me, you do not want the frustration of me being at the helm of your fucking music career. Like, <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's like I've got enough imposter syndrome for myself. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're better off on almost any other situation. So, yeah, right now, no plans to do anything else. I mean, it's literally just me doing things. Well, the record's um, called Mem Mods Volume 1, so I take it somewhere there'll be a volume 2, 3, 4, or is it just sort of, this is the one in front of you? And Sometimes that's a curse. Well, it was, <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a little cheeky calling it Volume 1. I mean, it was kind of like, a, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, we definitely established a production method, but, you know, and... But now that like the business and just that, but the the when the record was being created, it was mostly just like wow, it's great. And now that it's done, it's like there's some you know some terse conversations or whatever. I mean, nothing really bad, but it's just like I don't know, I don't know if I want again to, I, I don't know, <laughs> moderate people's <laughs> expectations. We'll see, we'll see. I wouldn't rule it out, but we also, especially me and Luther, like we have stuff we've recorded together. And like that goes back to like 2005 that we've been like, like every, every 18 months we're like, you know, we should do something with that. Yeah, we should. And then nothing ever happens. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see how volume one does. <laughs> volume one. It's like a uh, hollow notes came out with greatest hits volume one. And I don't think volume two ever came out, but it's like, um, <laughs> So that's kind of my question. So I, one thing your father never had a battle with on his label was streaming services. I know that's kind of the bane of, uh, of musicians. I, I, I heard on your cat interview, yeah. you didn't have very good words to say about it. But I was wondering, does it add new opportunities? Because like this, this came out, this was an instrumental. I mean, can you be more risky? Can you, um, you know, come out with more? Does it lead for more opportunities that way where you, you don't have to 
you know, be radio friendly is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Does that give you more, any more opportunity think, at all? I think so. It just depends on what you define as success. Um, but I mean, certainly look, I don't like the fact that my, you know, means of, of, of making a living was eviscerated by streaming. And I think there's things that could be done to make it, you know, more equitable, but you can't deny that. Like, I mean, the, the, the ability to find music at your fingertips on the one hand, it's like, it's amazing. You know, it's like, it's unprecedented, but because it's, there's so much, there's so much. So there's like so much you probably are missing as well. Right. But, you know, that said, I, I think it, it, it does work in our favor, you know, certainly to, you know, I mean, that we can stream a single to, to generate interest rather than like having to like, I mean, I don't know what that would look like putting out. I mean, I don't know, like in the CD days, you just wouldn't do it. And yeah, I don't know. Did you guys see that Taylor Swift? She's uh one through 10 with the songs. It's her whole album in track order is the one through 10 songs in the country right now. And it's like, so oh my God. can you imagine if this streaming was available when like thriller came out? I mean, <laughs> so Ah, yeah it's just it's different and um it just i guess i guess mtv was a streaming service when thriller came out yeah right you know the or at least the vehicle that way yeah the thing about i find about streaming just because i deal with it a lot too it, it allowed the business to become passive in a lot of ways like you bring up thriller thriller was for the longest time the highest selling record of all time and like people waited online for it it was going into a store and physically buying it that whole practice is gone like yeah. there's no more you know i'm gonna wait online for a record because it's just gonna be in my phone and, and that's part of what technology did and you buy a car now there's no cd players in them so like right. they're forcing you to become into streaming even if you don't want to be because everything's moving on it's you don't even find cd players in radio mm-hmm. systems anymore so it's it's a very it's a slippery slope and I, I think the real problem is the finances behind it just haven't balanced out yet in a mm-hmm. way that's viable for an artist and until that happens we're going to be in this constant loop of streaming versus sales and you know vinyl making the comeback mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a it's a very interesting time on the business side of of music and i feel for any artist that's trying to come up now in this world because it's it's not easy you see these bands with you know these tiktok things and well, two yeah. million streams on youtube but you know they can't sell 200 tickets in a room like so where's their longevity you know yeah they become one hit wonders I mean, it even, yeah, they're even small. It's even quicker of a blip than a one hit wonder. You know, it's like a one hit wonder back in the day might get a solid year out of that one hit, you know? And this is just like, I mean, it's, I don't even begin to pretend to understand it being, you know, the age that I am and growing up the way I did, you know, I mean, it's, you got, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I guess there are bands out there that are getting in a van and, you know, going to, play clubs and, you know, hopefully playing to a hundred people. And then the next time playing to two, 200, I don't know, but you know, with the whole, like just the fact that like TikTok, you know, is now eating fucking Meta's lunch. You know, the fact that, you know, inst- Instagram was just like, Oh shit. Yeah. No, we got to go to reels now. And if, you know, cause you know, I've, I follow and I know some content creators on, on, you know, 
Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. And like, especially like I've, I've been doing a lot of photography and there's that whole kind of thing there. And it's just like, there's a lot of complaints. Like Instagram used to be a good place to share your photography. And there's a community of photographers or photography enthusiasts there. But now since they're pushing it to reels, they're like, yeah, the algorithm is going to fuck you if you don't uh, go to reels, you know, which is like, right. so you got a lot of people like, again, the photography model, just like, okay, I guess here's me loading my film and, you know, <laughs> And then showing the pictures or whatever, um, right. you know, so it's just, yeah. I mean, like everybody's just getting pushed along. Um, right. But I, you know, I, I could sit here and pontificate, but I couldn't <laughs> give any real answers. <laughs> I get you. See, but now on the flip side of the streaming thing. Um, so we, you do get to release the first track Capricorn catastrophe with this visualizer, right. um, which is really very cool. Um, that's available through Bandcamp on the pre-order. When you, when you buy the vinyl, you get the, the first song and you get this visualizer um that's an awesome way to promote music and like so yeah. what's the story behind that like where did where did that come from okay so i really wanted to you know since it's it, it's not like there's not going to be us first of all like we're all in different cities and there's no lyrics so it's you know and like really like nobody ever wants to do a music video anymore you know like here i am playing and i'm fucking awesome Woo! <laughs> although although there is some of that in, in harmonica video but um but anyway, I was just like, yeah, man, I think I'd love to have some animations going. And I was like, what could it be? But then I realized like that song was making me think about uh, my buddy Winston Eggleston, um, whose dad was also friends with our dads, uh, William Eggleston, who's a like world famous photographer. Um, Winston has a certain style of drawing. So all the drawings that you see, all the line drawings, cartoon doodles kind of thing are his. But they're his that he kept from like high school. So oh wow. So they're like drawings he did in like, you know, fucking geometry in nineteen ninety when he was should have been paying attention. And he was probably <laughs> baked and like, you know. Uh so so I sent those to my friend Jake Vest, uh a former Memphian living now in Queens. because uh, he does some uh video stuff. And so he did like all the oh sorry, so he colored and animated the drawings and then did all like he did a lot of, like a visual feedback stuff. So he's like, you know, projecting a camera and in, back into the screen and it, that kind of thing. Um, so he, he took Winston's drawings and put them all in motion and colored them. I took like Winston just sent me iPhone pictures of uh, the drawings. So what I did, cause like literally he was out of town and I was in a hurry. So what I did was just, I emailed those pictures to myself, printed them out uh, and then scanned the the printed paper drawings and and like just jacked up the contrast. So because my thing was going for like you know kind of a eighties hardcore you know flyer aesthetic. You know the whole Xerox okay. oh, oh, super repeated thick line contrasty kind of thing. So it kind of it kind of gotcha. beefed up the drawings a little bit. Um, and then Jake just knocked it out of the park and just put it together. And um, I think the only thing. I'd said to him was like, can we just do like a more is more pass and just throw a bunch of shit back in there? And, um, so yeah, I was, I was so happy with the way it came out. Yeah. It's very cool. Is, will you be releasing other tracks with visualizers as yes, well? Or is that yeah. Um, we actually, nice. um, we, we finished the video for Harmelotica before we even got Capricorn catastrophe together. So, cause we were just like, we got to get something, man. And I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money to pay people and, so 
Harmelotica was like, again, let's just lean into the fun, the DIY aesthetic, the, the Beastie Boys like gear kind of thing. So the videos like, uh, you know, the three of us in our separate homes did like just iPhone footage of us playing along. Um, and then, and then I just shot a bunch of B roll. I, I like for me, especially I put like a, on my iPhone, I put a fisheye attachment, which is <laughs> you're just 100% straight BC boys right Beastie there. Boys, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I did a, like a lot of gr- gratuitous gear shots, like all like vintage gear and shit and four tracks and reel to reel machines, you know, and, and then, and then we created some backgrounds for it. And then Paul, uh, was in whatever final cut turned into premiere. I think, yep. okay. um, yeah. he put it together in premiere and just, again, was just like, we're super, super pumped about how it came out. Um, I am trying to figure out the third single, uh, naughty pine kitchen. I've like, I just, I'm trying to find somebody to do it. I'm trying to land on, uh, a MacGuffin for it. Like, um, so I'm, you know, I'm still working on that one. So bringing up Naughty Pine Kitchen, um, I did want to ask you about this. Is this an homage to like an Al Green? Because you'd get those vibes, man. Like it's. I mean, a little I'm bit. Yeah. I, you know, at first when when I first heard like that, you, you hear a little bit of the melody. I'm like, is this a cover? Or let's stay together. And then you realize it's not, and it's like this is amazing. Like it's right in that vein. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's definitely one of our favorites uh, of of the bunch. You know, when it came together. and and for me and to some extent the other guys like you know i learned a lot nose to nose from teeny hodges the guitar player that wrote a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. and i did you know i was lucky to do sessions with him before he passed and i've done a lot of gigs and sessions with uh his brothers charles and flick hodges you know the high rhythm section you know charles on that organ and, mm-hmm. and so you know we just grew up with that music so it's definitely it's in us but you know, I mean, I think how that came about was like, I think we were talking about like a tempo or something. And the other thing is it starts with an old vintage drum machine, mm-hmm. you know, and that was another aesthetic that we were super all about was like, cause you know, like there's a riot going on, uh, fresh Sly Stone, the whole, the whole drum machine aesthetic, you know, with drums over it. Um, and like, I was just going for a mood and like, I literally just set up the drum machine and almost wrote that song in the amount of time it took to play it, you know, and I just, I had something real quick and I sent it over, but then Luther was like on vacation down at the beach and just had a little MIDI controller with him. And he came up with that Mellotron melody, which, you know, just put it in a whole, a whole nother nostalgic, whimsical vibe. I mean, that that's tuned to me is all about, that's why I called it Naughty Pine Kitchen. Cause that was, I mean, we're all of a certain age. I mean, everybody had a naughty pine kitchen growing up, you know, <laughs> or, or your friends did or somebody, you know, it was like, if it's like the seventies, everything was Brown. Um, uh, but so, 
So that, you know, and then this whole time we were like, okay, we should call Mark and Art. So our horn players, uh, Mark Franklin and Art Edmonston, we were going to, we knew that we were going to get them in because like some of these, like some of these songs would be so elevated with horns. So we kind of had a list of songs that needed horns and songs that didn't need horns. And Naughty Pine Kitchen was definitely in the, you know, like, let's get it with the horns. And those guys have done so many gigs with like Don Bryant, you know, who wrote, I can't stand the rain and, you know, and all the high alumni and, and, you know, so like these guys are down with it. So yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that that kind of vibe came through. It's a real, just a, it's a real seventies vibe to it, but without being so like, yo, here's my you know, something a little more, hopefully a little more subtle. Yeah, it definitely stands out. And in that same vein of like paying homage to another artist, like I know you're a huge Beatle fan. And I don't know if this is what you were going for, but um, Preservation Blues, there's like an effect. I, I can't describe what it is, but it's that piece from I Am the Walrus that like that almost like reverse. Uh, yeah. That, like, is that what you're going for or is that subconscious or? Probably subconscious. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't feel bad because the, the, the other guys in, in the Mimmas can never say that word either. Perseveration. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, I, it, I'm not even going to say it. it. I can't even spell it's it. It's funny you bring it up because I was going to ask you about that song and specifically because I had to look up what the word means. Yeah. And, and I know in psychology, it's like a repeating theme that plays over or, or, um, or a sound or whatever. And, and sort of the bed in that song is sort of this repeating thing. And I didn't know if it was titled that consciously or if it just was something you fall into everything about that song was very intentional so i'll there, there was there was actually a big row about this song between uh in the mem mod camp because um paul had played drums and bass on it and i was like that's great but it's not what i want so my son has predator predator willie syndrome which is a very rare genetic disorder um whereas uh down syndrome is a an additional chromosome Predator-Willi syndrome is a deletion of a chromosome. The hallmark of it is he can never feel satiated. He's like, they, people with predator syndrome are always, literally always hungry. But there's a lot of stuff that's related, like similar to autism and perseveration absolutely being one of those things. So keep in mind, we're record, writing and recording this record right in the middle of lockdown. So my son is, first of all, thrown off his routine because he's not in school. We're trying to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and we're all just together every day, all day, no breaks, you know, and we're taking walks and stuff. But I bet he is just like he gets on one thing and it's just and until you've really experienced it, you don't realize it's it's, it's impossible to explain to somebody how insidious it is. Because you just think, oh, he's a kid. and He asks a lot of questions. It's like, no, it's different. So anyway, like that tune was like I was just down and out about it. And I was just with the guitar and I was thinking about, you know, a, a certain tempo that we might need. And then that just came out and it was like, so the arc of it is just like, because it, it's kind of minor, but then it kind of resolves to a bit more of a major thing. So that it's, it's kind of like this, the, the frustration and sadness of, of, of dealing with a kid with special needs, especially predator Roy syndrome. But then like, the fact that it's your son and you love him and there's a hopefulness and you just have to get, you have to get past it and be better, you know, cause otherwise you just can't function. So, um, so that, so that sort of ends, 
you know, kind of hopeful and then kind of just kind of goes out and kind of, you know, it's up to you to figure out how it's going to continue. But so that's why I named it Perseveration Blues. And that's, you know, that it is directly, that's the story of, of sort of how that came about, you know, and there's, there is a lot of chatter underneath, you know, um, and so that, that definitely is directly related to that. That's, that sort of leads into my next question because they were all instrumental. How do you come up with titles oh. for songs? A lot of times, like in the hold steady, like you pull a lyric, you pull sure. a whatever, but when you're writing this, like what makes cootie party different than congressional tadpole? Like, yeah. like, is it just, you write the words down cause they sound cool or is there really a conscious thing behind it? It happened a number of ways. So, uh, you either like just like oh that would be a cool title let's call it that but again a lot of it grew out of our marco polo conversations because like because you know how it was during lockdown like your neighbor like you'd see somebody go over to your neighbor's house and you'd be like who the fuck is that why are they having people over their house you're not supposed to do that like you know everybody's all paranoid and shit Mm -hmm. and so uh my neighbor owns a studio here in town and uh and and we have a uh, mutual friend and a drummer who's since moved out of Memphis, but it's got George Slepic. And I was on Marco Polo with these guys, and I was like, what "The fuck, Slepic's coming over to my neighbor's house. What 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 the hell, man? Like, where, where am I supposed to hang out? Like, fuck." Um, and it was cool. They were in the backyard, whatever. You know, it turns out it wasn't that big of a deal. But but I remember Luther said, like, you know, ah, man, it's just one big Memphis musician cootie party over there. <laughs> I was like, we were, we were going to call it Memphis Musician Cootie Party, but we was like, let's just dial it back to Cootie Party. So, you know, there's that. Perseveration Blues I had because of the whole concept. Naughty Pine Kitchen because of the, you know, uh, just um, nostalgic kind of thing. Um, Congressional Tadpole came out of our, like, we were talking about who gets to, who gets to make decisions on the song. And so it was like, basically we called it the seed sower. Like if, if you sowed the seed of the song, you had the ultimate veto power, you know? And so you could offer up any ideas and they could be taken, but you know, if you didn't sow the seed and so it got into this whole like governmental jibber jabber. And I was just like, yeah, well then you're going to pull some congressional tadpole or whatever. Like, so that, <laughs> you know, that came, I think, I think, and then like, Feathers on a House Cat, that was just, I heard that in a song lyric, and uh, I was like, that's a cool title. Um, <laughs> I think, actually, Feathers on a House Cat was called, originally called Cootie Party, but then, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, Luther and Paul are both Capricorns, and I'm a Cancer, so, like, sometimes dealing with the both of them was maddening um, from an <laughs> astrological standpoint, um, and so Luther brought up, we're just one big Capricorn catastrophe, and it was like, there we go. <laughs> um so you know just a, a number of ways but it's you know uh naming i mean it's the same way like you know because like when we demo up hold steady songs you know that we don't write the lyrics so mm. i don't we, you know we don't have a title right you know so i'm like uh i've got this demo i'm ready to send off I'm like uh what am i gonna call it so i'm looking around my studio like a uh, wall brick uh and then i look over and i've got this old powell peralta skull and sword skateboard that had um i don't know if anyone used to skate but like you had your protective plastic right you had your, mm-hmm. your, your tail skid to protect the tail of the board and you had 
if you had the money, you had the good Powell Peralta tailbone. But if you didn't, you had the dome tail. And everybody gave you shit if you had the dome tail. So this board used to have a dome tail on it. And I was like, dome tail blues. All right. That's, that's the name of that song. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of hard. Um, I think uh, Tad, Tad had a demo that he called Bloodbath and Beyond. That was, that was good. Um, yeah, naming things is hard. That's what I was going to ask you. We had uh we had Mosh Pit Josh on, and we asked him this question, you know, because uh, Craig came up with the lyric, uh, oh, "Oh, this toast is gross," because somebody associated with the band said it like four years ago or something, and then oh, it turns into decades ago. Yeah, decades ago. So then we asked Mosh Pit Josh if he ever had any lyrics uh, ever show up about him in a song, and he said he didn't think so. I was gonna, so I was gonna ask you the same thing. Is there any song lyrics that like or something you said or something you inspired or? From the hold steady. Um, I think well, beer on the nightstand is that's about Memphis and some weird that song oh, maybe. Uh, beer on the bedstand, yeah. Beer on the oh, bedstand, yeah. Is it maybe? Um, if it is, it was before my tenure with the band. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, because because Craig can spin it one of number of ways. So you think you know something? He's like, no, actually, it's this and that. Um, <laughs> I will say on our new record, there is something, but I won't tell you because you have to wait till the record comes out next year. But I, I, but I'm curious if y'all listen to it, there are clues. That's all I'm going to say. So you might, I'm I'm all about that. Yeah. Um, We'd have to really break it down. Yeah. I, I won't say too much more, but like you will hear something in a lyric to one song and you'll be like, okay, maybe, (laughs) I don't know. You've just set me on a mission now. Yeah. I'm the guy that sits down with separation Sunday and it's like, I'm going to figure this story out. Oh my God. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. I remember I was in the bloodthirsty lovers and we did it. It was like right before Sep Sunday came out or maybe it just come out. It was early on. We were going to, I think South by Southwest together on tour. And I remember like, Anyway, it was just coming out and like I had a CD of Separation Sunday and I was reading. I don't often read disembodied lyrics, you know, like mm-hmm. like I just like the song, you know. But I was just in the van. The, the CD wasn't playing. I was just reading the lyrics. I was like, fuck, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> wow. You know, like it just really that was like when it really became crystal clear to me. Like, whoa, this is unreal. Um, but yeah. So, but now I don't think there's, there's one thing. Yeah. Like I said, that is going to be on this new record, but anything in the past, I mean, I, I, I'd have to go back and listen to some stuff. I mean, there's, there's a couple of sayings here and there that's like, oh, I know where that came from, you know, um, just little phrases that somebody might say, but I, I don't, I don't know if I'm that quotable. I don't know. <laughs> now you bring up um, feathers on a house cat. And like, so songs like that, like with the fat bass line, like the, the right. more traditional, like funk stuff, like, first of all, I had so much fun listening to this record because so we didn't get a lot of, we didn't get a lot of time with it. So like, it was literally my drive home and my drive in today and okay. like just, just playing it. And so I'm commuting from Queens to Manhattan and like, there is something to be said for playing some of these songs. I'm like, you're on the LIE and the yeah. coming up around you. I'm like, this is so cool. But um, so like, what's some of the inspiration for the the more traditional funk stuff on the record? Like, 
I mean, I hear Booker T and the MGs and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm admittedly, not very well versed in funk, but I'd love to hear it from you. Yeah, again, that's something that's such a fundamental part of my growing up. I mean, I think I was, really it was Paul's Boutique that made me dig to find the source of the samples and stuff and got me very inspired about P-Funk. And, and I was just 16 when a friend of mine, Taurus Bailey, came over to my house and played me Super Stupid by Funkadelic. Played me the Maggot Brain album and it just changed my life. I mean, it just set me on a course that I'm still on today. So that's a huge part of who I am. But like, I, I remember that tune, like, because I was the <clears throat> seed sower of that tune. Um, <laughs> I remember like having, I had to have a real philosophical conversation with myself. Like, how do I feel about this? Is some popping and slapping, man. Like this, the thumb is getting involved, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's like a talk box or a Wawa pedal, man. It's put you in a very specific place. Uh, and ultimately I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. It's fine. Let's do it. Um, you know, and I I kind of had that tune bubbling around a little bit and kind of threw it in the mix, but then I kind of combine it with some other stuff. I really like the way it takes off in the middle, um, this more kind of open majory kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, Paul and I both, I mean, you know, we were in bands together. Paul played Big Ass Truck briefly. You know, I mean, we love, I mean, you know, all that Headhunter stuff, Herbie Hancock. Um like especially like headhunters manchild and thrust that sort of trilogy all that wow i mean i am ripping off wawa watson so much on this record <laughs> like um he played on, on a, a lot of that herbie hancock stuff and uh so like for me and for me that was my aesthetic for the record like i didn't use like to get guitar technical i didn't use a single amp on this record at all it was all plugged directly into my recording software going through a plugin that was like di funk guitar and it was just my telecast most of it was just my telecaster and a wah pedal and a phaser and it was like that's kind of the distillation of everything that i've taken from like all the 70s funk that i've listened to you know for the majority of my life so and then certainly booker t looms large in our world it's just you know it's our hero or you know It's really funny, too, because I always like to play this game when I listen to new records where what can I hear it scoring? And this record could perfectly score like any of the Clint Eastwood Dirty Absolutely, areas. yeah. And I feel like, I don't know if Lalo Schifrin is a, you know, was like an inspiration, but like you could totally hear that it would be a Dirty Harry sound. Right. Like him getting out of the car or like Steve McQueen bullet. Yeah, or Like totally. any of those real... You know, kind of cops and robbers. Well, it's it, total in the sense, especially in Midtown miscommunication. Yeah. That one is like I think that might have been had a working title of like Cop Show. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then it's Midtown Miscommunication too. I think it's the same one. Is that the one where in the middle it breaks down into this weird sort of jazz? Like there's the horns yeah. playing something dissonant against everything else that's kind of going. It, it almost sounded like a Coltrane yeah, moment. Yeah, totally. Like where it was very sort of Skronk. purposefully dissonant. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that was uh, Paul had art just like just go free on that part because it's sort of the connector because it's just it's like it, there's like the mellow first half and then there's that kind of noise mm -hmm. and then it just breaks into this like the only true like guitar solo moment because that was the other thing it's like i mean luther's one of the greatest guitar players ever and like you know it's like we could have everybody could have just played all the guitar solos just made it but like we we didn't want that because first of all that's what people would be expecting from us like it's just going to be like check out my guitar dick it's this big whoa <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like we, we wanted a lot more subtlety, but that was the one moment we were like, okay, this makes sense. Like, just let your freak flag fly. So that was me doing like a crazy Eddie Hazel, um, Ernie Asley, like, you know, crazy psychedelic guitar solo. Do you remember what guitar you were playing on? That was the telly, uh, my blue telecaster. Mm. Um, I have a blue one and a red one. I have a lot of guitars. <laughs> Well, in the hold steady, I notice you play mostly three thirty five. Yeah, that conscious because of what you're doing with Tad, or yeah, it just works. I mean, like I really wanted to try. Like I, a couple of times, I brought one of my tellies with me, and it's like, oh, this would be so cool, and it would blend so well. But like between just standing next to the SVT, and I just get swallowed up, man. Like I just, I, I need, I need the girth. I need the, you know, I need those humbuckers, and I need that that hollow body. Like I don't even hardly even play a Les Paul anymore. Um, it's just it just works, you know. There's a couple of things I use a, a Tele thin line with the wide range humbuckers, but I don't do a lot of guitar changes really. But um, but yeah, it just it kind of got especially since we're doing the residencies and it's like it's so many fly in stuff. Mm. It's just like that one guitar lives with the fly pack, and it just I know it, I know that that will work. I could be wrong, but don't you and um, Tad have like matching? They both look like the same sunburst, almost like you have matching guitars. Is that the one? Well, they're they're, they're both three forty fives, so they had the split parallelogram in, inlays. His sunburst is a little darker than mine. Mine's sort of more like leaning towards like a, a, a an iced tea burst, where his has more black <laughs> and red to it. Um, mm. God, I, I could get into guitar nerd terms, but um, <laughs> I mean, fu fundamentally, they're both ES three forty five. So in a lot of ways, they're the same guitar, but. Um, mm. Mine was made in Memphis. It's like a re reissue. Um, and I think his was probably made in Nashville and just sort of a standard model. Um, but but fun, for, for all intents and purposes, they're the same guitar, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. If we have, I don't think we have any other matching things, but, but I wouldn't be <laughs> Matching birthdays. That. Matching birthdays, absolutely. <laughs> yep, five hours apart. So now, uh, I just I, I had one more um, Memod's question, if I could. So, where yeah. does the name come from? So, pretty simple. Um, I think it was the first track that Luther sent along. He had called it called it Memphis Modulations. Okay. Because I think the track kind of built like you know it just kept modulating or something, and so when I was I have I just I have a certain way that I do my file management for recording. So when I was doing like the next song or something. I just, just called it mem mods or, and that kind of just kept coming out as the name, you know, cause again, like just like names for songs, you're we like, well, what are we going to call it? What are you going to call the band? And mem mods, just nothing ever beat mem mods. So it's just, it's sort of short for Memphis modulations. Gotcha. 
Have you yeah. have you Googled uh, Memods at all? Like just to see what comes up? There, there's something medical or <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a very very technical. Like, yeah, like chemical chemistry or something. Yeah, it's got to do with a database and like cells with mice and like I'm like, is, yeah. is there a scientist in this group? <laughs> you know, I mean, like it's dude. I mean, I, when I first asked Alexa to play it, I'm like, we so fucked ourselves with this name, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, it's like nobody's ever good. Like they can't pronounce it. They don't know what it means. I mean, like, we might as well be Krungman at this point. Um, <laughs> I wish we were that good. Um, but yeah, it's so. I mean, I was like, Alexa, play Memmod. She and what did she play? Oh my god, it was something hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It was like like Bruce Hornsby or some shit. But like, um, <laughs> and then I was like, play Capricorn Catastrophe. She's like, Capricorn Catastrophe from MEM mods or something. I was just like, <laughs> great. Spelled it <laughs> out for you. Like, no one's ever gonna find it. Or like, great. Oh, that's funny. I don't know. Maybe it'll do so well that it'll put all the technical data down further on Google. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so now you've been a touring musician for like more than 25 years. I'm between yeah. your bands and stuff. You played all over the US, Europe, Australia, and you've played every place from Carnegie Hall to Royal Albert Hall and yes. small and big places in between. What's yep. your favorite venue? Favorite venues? Um, well, Royal Albert Hall is pretty sweet. <laughs> Um, I'd I'd like to do that again sometime. Um, I mean, just in terms of like, you know, places that I know that we play, like, I mean, you know, Brooklyn Bowl is our home. It's, I have a very, I'm just thinking about it. It makes me very nostalgic. Um, Thalia Hall in Chicago is great. Um, the 930 Club, uh, in DC is legendary for a good reason. I really like the Lodge Room. The the last residency we did was in, um, in LA. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I thought that venue was fantastic. Like just everybody was so nice. And it's just, for me, it's like, I call it sort of a top down thing. Like if the people that they're like, just, you know, own it, run it in charge. If, if they're cool, then it just kind of meet, it just goes throughout permeates the whole, you know, environment. Like, you know, so everybody's just there to have a good time and do a good job, you know? And like, it's just, you know, it just, there's no bullshit. Um, and that place is certainly like that. Um, first Avenue, you yeah. know, um, you know, I can't speak to a lot of the bigger places cause you know, I think I played, I played Carnegie hall, uh, well, 30 years ago. Um, and that was my first gig in New York and it was pretty much downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think the next gig was the lion's den, which is fucking still around. I think I used to love the lion's den. Yeah. Uh, I did so many times as a kid. Uh, where do you, uh, where in Queens do you live? I live in uh, so it's a small town, middle village. Uh, okay, it's like kind of in the middle of everything, which is why they call it yeah. middle village. I'm I'm about 25 minutes outside of the city. I just, I always I have a really good friend of mine grew up in uh, Franklin Square. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, I have no idea ge- geographically where that's near or far, but um, that's you know. uh that's not far from us. It's like 20 yeah. minutes. It's that's yeah. not far. It's mm-hmm. over by like Roosevelt Field, closer out to the island, basically. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, funny story about Long Island um, uh, and Harry Chapin. A friend of mine actually married Harry Chapin's daughter. Oh, wow. And they have like a place like when, the, you know, it was like when they're on Long Island, it's like, whoosh, you know, waves <laughs> crashing. And, um, and so I went to the wedding and the reception was at Harry Chapin's. I mean, he was his, his, it was his house when he lived there. I was like, so this is the guy that they dropped my dad for. <laughs> like, <laughs> and now I'm in his house. Wow. You know. 
That's hysterical. <laughs> I mean, getting to the Hold Steady and their unique residency type of touring. Do you enjoy that? Do you miss tour bus life? Did you hate tour bus life? Like, are there certain markets you wish you got to go to still that you don't necessarily get to with this sort of resident style? I mean, play? there are certainly places that we haven't played that I would like to play. But like Craig says, you know, like we're open for business, you know, it's like, it's not because we chose not to play there. It's because the promoter didn't put it together and come to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do like doing the residencies. I like being in one place uh, for a number of days, having everything set up. I like the fact that it, um, you know, encourages us to change up the set. To, um, it encourages us to make it special every night. Uh, I like seeing familiar faces that I know are going to be there. I like seeing unfamiliar faces start to get to know familiar faces. And then they're all friends at the end of the weekend. Um, I mean, we're lucky in that we don't have a fan base per se. We have a community. Um, and we're really fortunate, you know, and, and we don't take it for granted. And so I just, you know, I, I like being able to go out to dinner or, um, you know, I mean, Look, if somebody said you have to go on tour right now, I'd be like, okay, you know, (laughs) but to be honest, one thing I realized, um, when I did a run of touring with the donkeys, uh, who was a band that opened up for us quite a bit. Um, one of our, our favorite bands, one of my favorite bands, um, we were, you know, in a van and I realized I, in, in a lot of ways, I prefer a van tour to a bus tour. Hmm. Um, I mean, and 25 year old me was slapped a shit out of me for saying that. (laughs) Um, but you know, in a bus, it's just like, I mean, it's great. if like the, the green room isn't all that great and you have somewhere to go, but man, there's so much about it. Just like, you know, living on the bus, you know, you, we, we didn't get really hotel rooms and just, you know, I like traveling in the daytime and seeing where I'm going. You know, it's, it's much, much better for my psyche. Cause man, if, if there's anything that's going to make it like in your life, that's going to make you go dark and then you get on the bus, woo, <laughs> it's making it get dicey. So, um, you know, but that said, I have no complaints with, with, with where we are right now. It's, it's, I'm 100% enjoying the experience for sure. Awesome. Any chance of a Memod store? No. <laughs> <laughs> let's see okay let's have a fucked up name that people don't remember or can't pronounce and then let's not play any shows um, <laughs> i don't know i mean like you know i like again we all have different schedules i mean luther's busy with the all-stars and like we all live in different places and mm-hmm. you know and we recorded the record in separate places i mean like right you, you know with with no intention of like well how are we going to pull this off live it was like just it's all just a studio creation um I mean, we could, and I'm not saying we won't. It's just that, you know, I, I don't know when that situation would arise, you know. We're, we're kind of hoping for a double dip and, like, you could open up for the whole study. Right, kind of, right. <laughs> Dude, Massive Nights would be an awesome spot <laughs> to I know. do it. <laughs> I know. Um, well, it's, it's, it's not unheard of. I mean, I remember we were in wherever we were uh, on one of our residency shows. I was backstage, and our manager, Gottlieb, was like, Selvage what did you think about big ass truck opening up for one of the Nashville shows? I was like, that would be amazing. I literally like, not only like it wasn't like I didn't want to ask about it. It literally just never occurred to me. 
I mean, that it sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm God's honest truth. It just, it, the thought never entered my mind of that band opening up because we play so seldomly. Um, and I was like, sure. So we played one night in Nashville and it was really fun. Um, his tag called it. Yeah, it was like a 45 minute guitar solo. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, you know, I was in my 20s, man. I had a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> Now in the in the same vein of like opening up for a hold steady show and like double dipping, uh, you were set to uh, tour with Craig for a little while on the solo stuff, and then unfortunately COVID, and I believe you broke your finger if I'm not correct on that. My, the finger happened first. COVID happened to them after the fact. Um, right. Yeah, it was three days before I was supposed to fly to LA to play okay. the, the the three hold steady shows, and I was going to fly from LA back to New York, rehearse a couple days with the band. And then fly out to Europe with, with Craig. Right. And so like, I, you know, I went to the doctor. He was like, you can go play those three shows, but you need to come back. Like he, the doctor, he's like a hand guy. And I'm like, you know, I was telling him, I was like, so think about what you do with surgery. I would imagine you're pretty passionate about it. Or at least it means like, this is guitar for me. I'm not just like, Hey man, I play guitar. Like whatever. It's like, this is critical. He's like, so he wanted me, and up until just recently, I had metal pins sticking out of my pinky. Like I had to go under anesthesia, and they'd put pins through my bones. Um, so he was like, "Go play those three shows, but you need to come back because we have a window. We need to do the surgery." He's like, "I don't like to do surgery. I avoid it at all costs. You need to do the surgery." So I had to be like, "It was so bad, man. Like I had just to be like." Um, so I broke my finger and it was like, it'll be all right. I was like, yeah, I can play with three fingers. But then I was like, came back. I was like, I have to have the surgery and I have to back out of this tour. And dude, I felt so bad. I felt like, I felt like I just let everybody down. You know I mean? It was an accident. It wasn't my fault, but like, right. Oh, it was, it was bad. I mean, it worked out like the guitar. Cause I was going to have to leave that tour early anyway because Big Ass Truck was playing a festival here in town. Mm. So there was a replacement coming in to replace me anyway who had shedded all the material. So he just came in for the whole thing, and it was fine. Um, But, um, you know, I mean, it was lost work for me, man. You know, I mean, it's... That was was the big thing. I just tried to be zen about it, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting better now. It's... I'm pretty much... I'm getting close to back to 100%. Um, That's good. Yeah. Any so are you excited for massive nights yes. this time around? Like, are they? Is that like sort of like a yearly camp where everybody kind of reconvenes? I know we go yeah. to a bunch. I think even Mike's flying in. For I mean, it, so it'll be fun this year. It, for me, it's kind of like. I mean, look, I like Christmas. All right, I'm a Christmassy dude, man. I always have. Been. <laughs> I mean, I'm like one of those annoying people that like likes all the music and like you know does. I get it. Like, right, I'm fucking excited for Christmas right now. Okay, I'm just you know. But, and Massive Nights is just kind of part of the holidays for me. It's just, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like a fireplace and and eggnog. It's just like, it's warm and fuzzy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, um, So it's like, yeah, I'm just like, oh man, I I can't wait to, I love, you know, I mean, I feel like I've aged out of Greenpoint a little bit, but like um, the way it is now, but still it's like, it's great to get back to the neighborhood. And, um, but yeah, so it's, it's always something to look forward to. We're looking forward to it too, man. It's going to come up soon, man. 
the the new hold study records coming. I know you probably can't talk much about it. Right. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Um, we know there's four songs that we've kind of checked out through the weekenders. Right. Um, what's your favorite track? Like, and anything you want to give. Uh, I don't. Are any of them going to be played? In oh yeah, yeah. I mean, nights? I've, I've, I don't know if we've gotten set list yet, but I've, yeah, because Massive Nice is where we really doubled down on stuff. So I've got a lot of shedding to do because, like, the the way sometimes things go down, it's just like, I mean, I just come up with a part on the floor, and it's like, and then we move on to the next song. So I'm like, what did I play? How do I? I <laughs> is that me or Tad? I don't know what. Like, what? How do I play this? Like, who am I? Um, like this asshole why did he come up with this oh that's me um so yeah we're gonna be playing we'll probably play some more new stuff cool there's there's a couple of tunes on this i don't know i'm, I'm so close to it um there's one tune that's very cinematic like like even more I, I just i just love it i love the way it came together um and then there was one tune that made me go like this um <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, it's, I'm just, I'm really curious as how, I mean, how people will respond to it. I mean, there's things that are similar just cause we've been working in a similar way, but there's things that are very different. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not for me to say. <laughs> well, so before we go, can I, I wanted to ask, we've been talking a lot of music here, but I had a really hard hitting question that I've wanted to ask you for years, Steve. Okay. Um, Air Jordan ones. How many do you own and how do you store them? Oh God, you should see my bedroom right now. Um, <laughs> I own over 30. It's been a while since I counted. Um, but, uh, so, okay. So in December of last year, um, they dropped these patent leather breads, like black and red patent leather ones. And I was yep. so excited, but I don't like the way sneakers do app does things now. Like you put in your email to maybe get a chance to give them the privilege of buying their fucking shoes. Right. <laughs> and so like I had, I had Gen Z millennial kids all over, like bidding for me or putting the email in and like nobody got it. I didn't get them. And I got so mad. I threw a tantrum and I put all my Jordans in a giant box. And I was like, I'm never wearing them again. Um, but then like later that year, this uh, sneakerhead couple that are super sweet and hold steady fans, they found a pair in my size and they sent them to me. Um, so that kind of got me back into Jordans. Um, so uh, it's, you know, I get into something that kind of double down on it. It's crazy. You should like now I've just been buying cameras and lenses and film and it's really expensive. And my, my wife's super mad and like, whatever. Um, but not whatever. Whatever. Uh, I hate that trope of like the, the the mad wife and the money, but it's not really like that. But um, all, all I will say is I've got something radically different planned for Massive Nights. And there Ooh. will likely be nary a Jordan on stage. And I got I have a whole different thing. And it's related to the upcoming whole steady 20th anniversary. Awesome. So, Okay. There's an Easter egg. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. So... Thank you so much for being on the show. You are an awesome guest. Y'all, this is a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed it. The record is The Memods, Volume 1. Go pre-order it. Uh, PeabodyRecords.co.com slash mem underscore mods. 
right, that's going to wrap things up for us. Uh, that was an amazing interview with Steve. We, we really thank him for coming on the show. He's a great guest. Please go check out the Memods record. It's Memods Volume 1. That drops February 24th, 2023. Uh, you could pre-order that record right now at peabodyrecordsco.com forward slash M-E-M underscore M-O-D-S. We're going to put the link up on the uh, on the promo for the podcast as well. When you pre-order the record, uh, you do get the first single in the visualizer. And uh, make sure you get the vinyl, man. This is a great record. We really enjoyed it. We think you're going to enjoy it too. Um, don't forget to check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook at The Hood Rat Recap. You can find us on Twitter at Hood Rat Recap. And you can send us an email at thehoodratrecap at gmail.com. So I'm Gasper, that's Kevin, that's Mike, and that was the one and only Steve Selvage. And us guys, and all you guys, we are all the Hood Rat Recap. A killer party sounds good.